Good morning. Uh, it's uh, as Hugh said, this will be the the last time that uh, that I will be uh, have the the privilege of preaching to you here at Charlton Church for a while. As uh, next month we'll be uh, moving to the United States. Uh, although Hugh seems to be making um, uh, making a play of spreading out my farewell over several weeks, <laughs> um, we'll still be here next week and the week after. Uh, and so before. Uh, before we start, let me pray and ask God to uh, open our hearts to his word. Dear God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts so that you would be able to take your word and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Make our hearts open and receptive to what you have to say to us. May it truly be what your Holy Spirit has to say that we hear this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you, have you ever been sucked in? Maybe you were doing some shopping in Mongkok, and only to realize after you made your purchase that... uh, You've just been ripped off. Can you spot that there? It's not a PlayStation. (laughs) You wouldn't want to come home and unwrap that to find out that, oh dear, I haven't bought what I thought I bought. You know, maybe you've been ripped off like that down in the markets in Bangkok. Maybe you've been punked by your friends or been the butt of an April Fool's joke. Or maybe you've read some news on the internet and then shared it on Facebook, only to realise that it was written by The Onion. Um, Like this person here is a photo of Steven Spielberg with uh, one of the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. And people are saying, "How, how could this person kill this thing? Someone said, no, wait, this is Steven Spielberg from Jurassic Park. And then someone says, I don't care who it was, he shouldn't kill that animal. Isn't someone going to feel stupid later? (laughs) And so in the world we live in today, these are genuine hazards that we must negotiate in daily life. As we grew up, or as I grew up anyway, we grew up on safety warnings like look both ways before you cross the road. Today we need to warn our children to make sure a link is genuine on the internet and not a phishing site. Uh, These are not warnings that I or perhaps most of you grew up with, but they're things that we really need to be aware of today. And so as a result, we are a sceptical society. But we're not so much sceptical of facts, but sceptical of the motives of those who are bringing these supposed facts. And so we're sceptical of politicians, always wondering who has greased their palms so that they will make pronouncements one way or the other. We're sceptical of companies wondering how they have carefully crafted their advertisements to avoid legal culpability at the same time as they carefully avoid the truth that's hidden in the fine print. And we're sceptical of the media wondering what biases are behind their editing of the news. And we're sceptical of religious leaders wondering what benefits they get from their supposed altruism. 
So I was talking earlier this year to a couple of my friends who had both come from religious families, but now they would both consider that uh, although they believe that God probably exists, they don't want anything to do with organized religion. Because as far as they can see, all organized religion is corrupt and just an attempt to gain control over people. And you know what? What they say makes a lot of sense. When I see pastors in Africa encouraging incredibly poor church members to give as much as they can with the promise that God will bless them in return, while these pastors themselves are driving around in fancy cars and flying in private jets, how can I not say that these people are using religion to manipulate these trusting churchgoers to fund their millionaire lifestyles? When I read about pastors and religious leaders using their positions of authority to sexually abuse those they hold power over with the confidence that their victims would never dare testify against them, or even if they did, no one would ever believe them. How can I deny that this is a corrupt attempt to control people? And when I see religious leaders cozying up to political leaders to receive favours in return... How can I call it anything other than the cronyism that plagues politics? And then when I take a look back in history, I see that religion does not have a good track record at all. Many missionaries of the 18th and 19th centuries went hand in hand with colonialism, planting their country's flags as, as often as they planted churches. In the 15th and 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church sold indulgences, a gift to the church would buy a relative a quicker path out of purgatory into, hell, into heaven. A clear extortion of the faithful. And the reason for this? Well, because Rome was going through budget problems at the time because of the uh, bad financial management and extravagant lifestyles of the, the leaders in Rome. So the more I looked at this, the more it seemed like you know, my friends were onto something there. Now, as uh, Russ Cole said in the TV drama True Detective, when he was asked, you know, is all religion a scam? He said, oh yeah, it's been that way since one monkey looked at the sun and told the other monkey, he said for you to give me your share. So is that how, the way things are? Is religion just a scam? Did all the founders of religions, Moses, Buddha, Muhammad, etc., just pour one over on the faithful? It may surprise you that my answer won't be so unequivocally no. I agree that religion has always been a tool that people have used to exert power over the faithful. I agree that many religious leaders seek positions of religious authority for less than noble goals. I do not, however, agree that the situation is universal but I do agree that it was common, and it was the situation in Jesus' time. If we take a look at Jesus' time on earth, we can see that his strongest criticisms were reserved for those in political power. Or for those in religious power, sorry. It was John the Baptist who called the Pharisees a brood of vipers, but Jesus didn't pull any punches on them either. He called them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they were gaming 
the religious systems that they came out with all the power and prestige and others were locked out. Jesus' greatest show of anger was in the temple courts where he drove the money changers out of the temple with a whip. Why? Because these people were getting rich by extorting the faithful. So this is a context in which Jesus enters the world. He enters the world in a context where people are being extorted for their faith and for their piety. And so Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can you see the radical difference here between Jesus and the religious situation of his day? Between Jesus and his contemporary religious leaders? Between Jesus and religious leaders throughout history? Between Jesus and religious leaders of today? There was nothing that prevented Jesus from being able to come as a figure of domination, subjugating those that he should rule. If that is how he wanted to come, he could have. But he chose not to. In fact, every step of his earthly life ran counter to the path to power. He was born in obscurity. His ministry life was characterized by extreme poverty so that he was able to say, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And his ministry culminating culminated in him offering himself up to be killed as a common criminal. And yet it is through this attitude of humility, of continually submitting himself to those he had the right to rule, that he obtained victory. And so therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, fighting fire with fire was not an option there. You cannot defeat war through the means of war. You cannot defeat power by power. The only way to truly defeat this tyranny of religious power was to submit to it and absorb the worst it could give. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus, the Logos, the power that held all the universe together, the creator of the universe, entered into the universe as a human being. And when he did come, he did not come as a superman or an emperor. He came as a little child. A child that could so easily have been killed by anyone or anything. And when he grew up, he did not lead an army. He did not live in a palace. He did nothing of the sort of things that we would associate with attaining power. And in that final battle with the evil of tyrannical power, tyrannical power in the form of jealous religious leaders, cynical and ruthless 
political leaders, a justice system that allowed the rich and the strong to prey on the poor and the weak. How does Jesus defeat them? By letting them arrest him, torture him, put him through a kangaroo court, sentence him to death, and then string him up like a common criminal. He took the full brunt of what corrupt power could throw at him and let it kill him. But in doing so, he emptied these powers of their power. And he conquered them through weakness and humility. And so we are called to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We are exhorted to have that same attitude. An attitude of not seeking power or privilege or trappings for ourselves. So, sorry, that does mean that the Christian life is not about getting more diamonds. But instead, we're called to give up this power, this privilege, and these trappings. So how can we apply that as followers of Jesus in our world? You know, it's of interest to know where these things started in the early church. The early church gave unusual dignity to two groups of people who were largely denied it, slaves and women. Both slave and free ate at the same table and drank from the same cup at the Lord's Supper. Masters were reminded that in the church, those who were slaves were also their brothers. In teaching like this, the seeds that would result in the abolition of slavery were sown. A concept so subversive that almost 2,000 years later, it still only came about despite much opposition. Likewise, the church gave unusual prominence to women. It was women who first witnessed the resurrection. Several of Jesus' uh, women followers were named so that we know that they were important and valued in society by the fact that we know their names in the Bible. And some of the early leaders of the church, such as Priscilla, were women. In an age where women were largely seen as chattels, this was subverting the old structure of one group holding power over the other. So where do we see people using power to dominate others today? Perhaps it is in the slavery by any other name of sweatshops, where workers are forced to work in terrible conditions at low pay and are unable to leave either because of force, coercion or circumstance. Perhaps as child soldiers where a combination of guilt, machismo and fear are used to bully children into performing horrible deeds. Perhaps it is sex slavery where children are treated as disposable things existing purely to satisfy some people's sexual urges. Perhaps it is abortion Rumboard children are treated as a medical condition to be cured of. Who will subvert the power that is oppressing all of these people? Or what about on a more personal scale? Is there someone at your school or in your office who is subjected to bullying? You know, Paul shared earlier about his experience of his in his own family being ostracized. Is there someone in your circle of contacts who 
is treated like that, who is hurting and needs someone. Maybe there's someone in your own house, a grandparent or a domestic helper, who is made to feel that they as a person are worth less than others. The gospel urges us to go to these people with the message that Jesus brought, both by his words and his actions, that they are valuable and that Jesus can lift them up because he has made himself lower than us all. And that is what he has done. Even though he is in very nature God, he made himself lower than us all. And then God lifted him up. And in lifting Jesus up, Jesus is able to lift us up from the depths that we are in. And this is something that we're reminded of in baptism, where in baptism we descend to the depths and then are brought up into new life. This is the good news. Jesus, who was above all, made himself below all so that God could lift him up. And in doing so, Jesus lifted us up from the depths we were in. Let us have the same attitude in everything that we do. Let us likewise humble ourselves so that others may be lifted up. Let me pray. Dear God, we thank you that Jesus, although Jesus deserves to rule, chose to humble himself to become a human being, to become a servant of all, to submit himself even to death on a cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did that so that you could lift us up out of the depths. And we praise and honor you as now God has raised you to the highest place. In Jesus' name, amen.